Hey, so we are, again, fivefold family series. We are, this is part two of being an evangelistic family, being an evangelistic community. Uh, and, you know, I was going to start by sharing where we're kind of having lots of conversations as a leadership team and just about are we, are we, are we doing what Jesus wants us to do? Are we staying on track with what is most important to God? Because the reality is we can get caught up in doing good things and they're not necessarily like, but what does Jesus want to do? And that's really our heart. Like we just want to do what Jesus is all about. Uh, and, and sometimes that can be unique in terms of he says, or oh, right in this season, I want you to focus on these things. I want you to do these things. But ultimately at the core of them, the message and the heart of God, we're like, we want to represent you well to the world, Jesus. We want to not get caught up doing good things. We want to get caught up doing God things. Uh, and so right in this, in that kind of place at the moment, it's good, it's exciting. Um, just keeping Jesus the main thing. Uh, but part of even what, we're, what I'm teaching and, and what we're sharing on here. Uh, it's really about activating all of us to partner with what God is doing in the world. Because He is, God is not dead. God is alive and well. God has not forgotten the world. God is actively engaged. But He's actively engaged in wanting to see people transformed, wanting people to come to know Him, wanting to see the world change, His kingdom come. It's so, it's clear in Scripture. But even in, in, in these kind of uh, topics that we're speaking on, and I think evangelism is one of those ones where we can get kind of caught up in the rhythm of Christian life, and we can, and it's good stuff, there's nothing wrong with it, there's nothing bad, but we can get into this pattern where we forget that there is a multitude of people actually a greater majority of people that today don't know Jesus. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't have eternal salvation. They don't get to enjoy Him every day. And ultimately, uh, their eternity will be spent without Him. And, and that could just kind of happen. It happens for me. I just get into this rhythm and it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm busy and I'm doing stuff and I'm doing good stuff. And then I can forget that as I walk through the shopping center, as I spend time in even just in my own neighborhood and wherever I go, there's like, man, there's people around me and they just, they don't know anything of what I get to live with every day. And it's hard sometimes being a follower of Jesus, but it's also amazing <laughs> at the same time. And, and, and just to really say my heart, even for, for, for today, is just to really stir just a hunger in your heart for those who don't know Jesus. And it's a, it's a love, it has to be a love motivation. It can't be a guilt motivation because that won't last. It has to be like, man, I want to fall in love with God so much that I am captivated by His heart and His desires and then love would compel me to go and, and share that good news with other people. As I said before, love makes you do dumb stuff. Love makes you do crazy stuff. You know, if you, when you're in love, it's like you, you do crazy stuff. I'm still in love with my wife, but when we first fell in love, like I would just do, I'd just do dumb stuff. Like good dumb, you know, but like I would stay up, you know, I, I worked as an apprentice and it just wouldn't matter what time I went to bed if I could just spend more time with, with Lisa. Like it just didn't matter. So then I'd cost myself all the next day. And, uh, but it's like, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's worth it to cost myself, to sacrifice myself because I just enjoy i mean i'm in love and and i think we need to again there's some of that uh, encouragement in, in revelation about coming back to our first love and i think some of us are like man i just need to 
reinvigorate that, but then long for others to know that love, to know that experience of him. All right, my iPad just reset and turned off and it's back again. There you go. I rebuke you, Satan, and your digital demons. It's amazing that a demon would be able to penetrate the, uh, the glory of an Apple product, but uh, that's it. It's done. It's, it's had victory, so amen. Just talk amongst yourselves. There we are, all right. So uh, hopefully if you weren't here last week, you've been able to catch up online and all the various ways that you can do that. But uh, in, so part one really was helping to shape or reshape what the gospel is, the good news of the kingdom, remembering that it is far more than just uh, your ticket to heaven. It's far more than, than just Jesus died for your sins, rose again to give you new life and is coming back again one day. That is good news. That's amazing. It's wonderful. Really, the gospel is the good news from creation all the way to final restoration of the new heaven and the new earth. That's the story that God is presenting. And what happens is when we become a Christian, we enter into God's story and we get invited by Him, not just to be a receiver, but to be a participator in that, this process then of redeeming and restoring the world. That's good. If you want to, like for me, it's like, man, I want to have purpose in my life. That's really good purpose. That's a really amazing purpose to be part of world transformation. Yeah, who wants to, who wants to invest the, their time and their energy in seeing the world transformed? Amen. That's exactly what God is doing, and that's what He invites you into. What it looks like individually is going to be different for every single person. It might look massive for one person. It might look really small for another. But as long as we're all participating in doing what He has called us to do, then we'll see the fullness of that plan come about. So the gospel is more than personal salvation. It's redemption and restoration of people and culture. All right, so then if we look at, to identify an evangelistic family, what's that look like? Well, we look at what is an evangelist. So what is this in this fivefold, these five kind of gift sets that God gives to the church? So essentially, and this is, um, I'm getting this from, uh, in particular, a guy called Alan Hirsch, who is uh, originally based in Melbourne. He's like a, what you'd call a missiologist. So writes a lot on, on the mission of the church. He's got, so if you do the 5Q uh, central uh, test, the fivefold test that he's, he's been part of developing all of that. But in his book, it's called 5Q. So he's talking about the missional quotient, like EQ, IQ, you know, that sort of stuff. If you don't, you don't need to. Um, it's not important, but, uh, but he's essentially he's saying evangelists recruit. So what's an evangelist? An evangelist is a recruiter to the cause. These infectious communicators of the gospel message recruit others to the cause. They call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ and also draw believers to engage in the wider mission of growing the church and bringing the kingdom of God. So if you think that kind of classic evangelist, and again, if the gospel is primarily just about personal salvation, then really it's just about here's something I've got to give to you, and the evangelist really wants you to receive this gift of salvation and done there. That's kind of that classic mode. But if you understand an evangelist in the bigger picture of what the gospel story is, it's not just that an evangelist is giving a gift, it's that they're inviting their participation into the journey and the story of what God is doing. 
So it's really important to understand. And you might kind of be someone who feels like, you know, I'm not, I'm not great at like at, at talking. I don't, I'm not great at, at like going out and, you know, bumping into random strangers on the street and telling them about Jesus. But man, I really love connecting people into community. I really love just connecting. I really love, I'm just excited about what God's doing. I love kind of sharing that with people. And so I just want as well in this to really break down some misconceptions for you. And you might realize through that you're like, I think I'm an evangelist. <laughs> and I really encourage you to do even some of those online tests just to see like, where do you sit? And you might be surprised and you might go, oh, I'm, I'm mostly evangelist. And you might freak out and go, no, I don't wanna be. But you do wanna be. You do want to be, and I'm not, don't hear me, I'm not putting down. I'm, I'm all for people being on the streets and, and evangelizing, doing that sort of stuff. I'm just saying that's one expression of it, okay? And, and bless them because people give their lives to Jesus through meeting a stranger on the train and, and hearing the gospel, like that happens. But if that's the only way, it's almost if that's the only way that the church is interacting with the world, it's grossly misrepresented, because what God has done in your life, somebody needs to hear your story. Someone needs to know about what God has done in your life. Some, like people need to hear about that. And it's possibly more than likely those who you already know and already have relationship with. I don't know if you've heard about the uh, six degrees of separation principle. So it was discovered by some, I don't know if it was a mathematician or whatever, but essentially you look at um, every single person on the face of the planet and that they are connected through uh, a maximum of six relational connections. Okay, so you'd say, um, take uh, a, a sports star, famous sports star, give me one. Who? No idea who that is, <laughs> but famous to you, hey? Steph Curry, basketball, yep, okay. So you think there's, there would be six relational steps. So I know someone who knows 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 Steph Curry, okay. Statistically, mathematically, that is actually the case. They reckon with, uh, with social media now, so we've got a much broader network, that number is actually a lot lower. It'd be like 4.2 degrees of separation, something like that. It's getting less and less. So you'd say, for me, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not gloating about this, but I'd say I would be less than six degrees of separation from Donald Trump. So I know someone who knows someone who knows Donald Trump. Okay? Yeah. Oh, all right. It's like some people are throwing flowers, some throwing tomatoes. It's like, whoop, whoop, whoop. Uh, just, just keep it all to yourself. I'm just saying it's a well-known person. Okay, and you know, doesn't, that has nothing to do with me, but it just means that relationally the entire world is connected to one another, okay? And interestingly, that this recently discovered, but interestingly, the way that Jesus designed the good news to spread was from person to person and from disciple to disciple. And the issue is sometimes is that if people become Christians and they disconnect from their relational network, now again, if you're in like a toxic environment, maybe you're around people who are really unhealthy for you, um, or you like there's there's sometimes just like actually need some space from the influence of these people until I have the strength to be able to go back in and represent Jesus well. But if we disconnect and then do all of our socializing, all of our engagement and networking within Christian environments, the gospel naturally ceases to spread. Even if we if we create kind of um, like no. If we create environments for engagement sometimes, 
So we might say, well, we're going to create this and run this event where non-Christians can come along, and then we'll be able to interact with them and share the gospel. I'm saying, hey, that's cool. If it, if, it, if it works, and it might work for some people, they'll come along. Again, if we say, hey, let's, let's make this time when we gather together super evangelistic, and we'll make it like super accessible for people, and then we'll invite them along, and there'll be opportunity, and we can share the gospel, and they might choose to follow Jesus. I'm saying, cool, that's fine. You can do that. Lots of churches do that. I'm not against people doing that. But what I'm saying is there's so many people who would never come to that event They'll never come to that church service. They'll never come to that place and, and do that thing because they're like, I, I, well, I don't know you. Well, that would be a weird, why would you go to that? And so again, when we look at the heart of God, does he say, as the Father has sent me, go and invite people to come? Does he say in the Great Commission, sit around and invite people to be my disciples and invite them to come to a place? He says, no, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. In the Great Commission, go and make disciples. There is a sending aspect. This is why the apostolic dimension is so important, because it's the sending identity of the church. And again, it's not just that individuals, you know, the apostolic people are sent or the apostles are sent. It's not everyone. We're all sent out into the world to share the good news, to see cultural transformation, to release the voice of God, to, to, to bring revelation to people about who God is. We're all sent out by God into that space. And that's how the gospel spreads. So you probably, and I would hope that there is enough people in your life that don't know Jesus, that you don't know, even need to go looking. Where am I gonna find people that don't know Jesus? Like, surely it's not hard to find, unless everyone on your street is already a Christian. Well, that's wonderful. Then you can move house. I don't know. Um, like, or you say, everyone in my workplace is a Christian. I mean, I, I've kind of got that, but, uh, but not at the same time. We have volunteers and people who come in on site regularly. There's opportunities everywhere that we go. So where you work, there's people all around you. And God has connected you relationally. He's put you in that place to be light, to be salt, to share the gospel, to share your life. Now, again, does it mean, okay, it's work. Everyone's in the work lunchroom. Okay, I need, a, I need a, a crate, milk crate that I can stand on. All right, just want everyone here. I'm just here. Welcome, everyone. I'll just come to share the good news with you. And uh, it probably might not be received well. Again, if it is. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. But there's a good chance people are going, what the heck are you doing? Like, who are you? They want, people want to know you. There, there's that saying, you know, people will, will care how much you know when they know how much you care. But this was the reality of Jesus. Jesus loved people. And he was compelled to share with people the good news because he loved them. There was times even where he's like, man, I'm just going to go and pray, have some time with the Father. He's about to leave and there's this crowd of people crying out for him. And the Bible says that he has compassion Compassion wells up in his heart. He's like, I've, got, I've just got to go and meet with these people. Sometimes he spoke. Sometimes he just healed. Sometimes he just miraculously provided for hungry people. But it was the heart of God that would motivate him to do that. So again, evangelists are those kind of recruiters. So evangelists are, are there to keep our eyes outward on the lost, on those who don't know Jesus, but they're also there to help us all to say, how do I draw people in then relationally? How do I connect them into community? How do I connect them into and get them activated in the, the mission of God in the world? Amen? All right, I'm one paragraph down. 35 to go. 
So again, there's, there can be a danger if the church is kind of overly weighted towards evangelism. And, uh, and that's, it can be so, so focused on reaching those outside the church that maturing and strengthening those inside is neglected. So what we also don't want is evangelism without discipleship. But what an evangelist does is they, they share the good news to invite people to become disciples of Jesus. And through discipleship, people get to mature, they get to grow, they get to share the good news with others, but they're maturing to represent Jesus well in the earth. So what we don't want is then to have this very immature church that's out there all the time telling people the good news, but ultimately they themselves aren't becoming like Jesus. They themselves aren't maturing and aren't representing God well. So then again, the church now is being represented in a really poor way to the world, which is going to impact the spread of the good news of the kingdom. Because people say, oh, I've seen the church, I don't want anything to do with it because it's been poorly represented. All right, so how could or how can, how does the evangelist impact the culture of a church family? I think one way that evangelists do is that they share the good news with other Christians. They're just constantly, they're on that flow of like, this is good, there's good stuff happening. God is good. God is changing. God is transforming. Like we actually all have good news to share about what Jesus is doing. And we can encourage one another in, in that journey. As I said, the gospel is not just about personal salvation. It's about the restoration of all things, the expansion of God's kingdom. And evangelists are excited about what God is doing out there, not just what God is doing in here. Evangelists can help others to learn how to share the gospel. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not just talking about a, a four-point presentation to help someone understand what Jesus did for them. But it's like, how do you share the good news in everyday conversation? And that sometimes, I think, is the hard thing for us, is that we've only been kind of taught the gospel of, of Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus did that, and we, we get that, okay? We've, we've been taught, essentially, theologically, it's called penal substitutionary atonement. Okay, so the legal dimension of, of what is required from God, death, Jesus has been the substitute in our place and he has atoned for our sins. Okay, atonement, I like this, at-one-ment, so he's brought back together. But it's through the death of Jesus on the cross that we now get to be reconciled to God and one day go to heaven, okay? So that's what we know the gospel is. And then we go and try and weave that into conversation. You might find that, it doesn't often happen. It doesn't pop up in conversation uh, with, you know, the other tradies at work. I was, I was pondering atonement the other day. And what, what do you think, Brad? <laughs> Probably not going to happen. But do we need to be this kind of overly theological? Do we need to mention any of those words and any of those things just to share about this is what Jesus means to me or this is what Jesus has done in my life? You know, our testimony of what God has done in our lives. The, the great thing with a, with a testimony is that people can't argue with it. No one can argue with your experience of God. They can say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, that's fine, but you can't argue that. I've had an experience of God and it's changed my life. So evangelists also invite others into God's mission of expanding the kingdom through sharing the gospel and impacting culture. So you'll find evangelists probably are out there interacting with a lot of people who don't know Jesus. But again, it's not meant to be a solo thing. So if you say, I, I, I think I'm an evangelist, or maybe you know, I know I'm an evangelist. I, I encourage you that part of your role is to invite others into that space. Help others to learn how you do that. 
really important when we talk about sharing the gospel that communication comes in more forms than just verbal communication. So Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom through who he was, through what he did, and through what he said. So I like to call this being the gospel, doing the gospel, and telling the gospel. So when we talk about sharing the gospel, Jesus was the representation. John 1 says that he was the word of God. Jesus was the logos of God. That's the Greek word. That's called word. Translated word. Yeah, it's the word for word. Uh, one of the words for word. There's actually a couple. But, uh, but when Jesus says, I am, so Jesus is saying, I am the message of God. I am the divine message. Everything that God wants to say to humanity, he's put in me. And I have come to share it with you through my existence, through my presence, through my proximity. Because if you say, well, no, Jesus came and he spoke the message, he did. But how often did Jesus speak the message in a way that people didn't understand? I just think Jesus, he just really wasn't very seeker sensitive. I think the modern church could teach Jesus a few things. We try and make the gospel accessible, but oftentimes by removing the very things that Jesus put in the way. We, we, we open the door wide and Jesus says, you know, it's, it's a narrow road that leads to life. And I understand that because of our love for people, we want to make the doorway wide. But the reality is that God says, no, it's very narrow and it's through one person. And those who have ears to hear will hear. Such an important thing. As you're sharing your life with people, you need to trust every time somebody becomes a Christian, that is a supernatural event. If it's not a supernatural event, they have not become a Christian. They might agree with your philosophy. They might agree with what you think about stuff. They might go, oh, yeah, I guess I believe in God. And, yeah, cool, whatever, Jesus wants to die for my sins. Awesome. But it's, it's, it's a supernatural event when someone is filled with the Spirit, when they're born again, when they come to a saving knowledge of God, when belief enters into their heart, and they say, no, I, I believe, and I know that Jesus is the Son of God. That is a supernatural event. But again, if our focus is all about, I need to say the right words in the right order at the right time to try and convince somebody that what I believe is true, we're starting on the wrong foot because our dependency is upon my articulation, not God's transformation. You need to understand, you don't need to be able to articulate the gospel message well. You need to represent Christ well. You need to be able to share your life. And if you're filled with love, like Jesus chose uneducated people. The reason that the disciples were working in, in secular jobs, fishing, tax collecting, is because they weren't good enough to be disciples. You were chosen, I think it was around 12 years of age. You would, at that point, depending on how well you did at rabbinical school and all that sort of stuff, you'd be chosen potentially by a rabbi to become a disciple of a rabbi. And you would learn everything about them, follow them. That would be your whole life. These guys would have got to an age and said, I'm failing scripture school, I'm failing Bible, I'm just going to go and get a job and do that. Jesus comes along and then he calls these random uneducated people to come and follow him, to be his representatives on the earth. It's crazy. Like, why would Jesus choose these people? Well, because he knows that what he has to give them is enough. He knows what they have in themselves is enough. But even in that, he says to the church, 
right at the beginning in the book of Acts, do not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you in power. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So he knows, hey, you plus Holy Spirit is enough. If you say, I don't know about being an evangelist, I'm talking to you, Siri. You plus the Holy Spirit is enough. You plus the Holy Spirit is enough for the entire world to be transformed and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. You, without Holy Spirit, not enough. But again, if I, if, am, I, am I gonna be bold enough to share? How am I gonna find the right words to say in that situation? Forget about that sort of stuff. So Holy Spirit, I trust you that you're gonna open up the conversation. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're gonna give me the words to say. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're gonna open their heart and their eyes, their spiritual eyes to see you and to hear your voice when the time is right. And until then, I'm just gonna keep loving. I'm just gonna keep sharing my life. I'm gonna keep sharing and weaving the truth of the gospel all through our conversations when the time is right. You don't have to only talk about Jesus. It's okay to talk about the football and Jesus as long as the football isn't your Jesus. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just, you can be a normal person. You don't have to flip into weirdo mode to be an evangelist, okay? It's, it's all right, I release you from that. So Jesus was good news to people. People loved spending time with Jesus. They enjoyed him. He wasn't uptight. He wasn't religious. Religious people hated Jesus. <laughs> they killed him. But he, and it didn't mean, and he spent all of this time with sinners and yet without becoming one himself. How is, it's like the most holy person coming and spending time with people who are so unholy and yet his influence just was rubbing off on them. And you can do that. You can be a friend of sinners and not become a sinner. It might be harder because those things that maybe are unredeemed and unrestored in your life and in your heart have freedom to come out in that place. I played half a season of AFL football. I know what it's like for unredeemed parts to pop out sometimes. Yeah, you find it. It's good sometimes to be in those situations. You go, yep, got some work to do there. Thank you, opposition team, for, for drawing that out of me. You don't need to be good at communicating. You need to be good at loving people. And that's a demonstration of the gospel. So again, Jesus, he was good news, just in in who he was and how he represented God. But he did stuff that was good news for people. And often it was signs, wonders, and miracles, but it was good stuff that he was doing. So people saw the reality of the kingdom through what he did. And he spoke out good news to people. He shared it with people and people were like, that's, that's good news. Not everyone. The rich young ruler didn't think it was good news. Like there are, there are times where it's like, Actually, that's not good news. Uh, I shared on Friday night, yeah, there's a scripture in John 6 where Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And then all the, all the disciples that were following me had said, no, thank you. I'm going somewhere else now. Um, so he spoke in parables. Even his disciples didn't understand. But it's okay. Trust that God, God's desire is to draw people to him. God's not saying, please don't tell people about me. I'm really, I'm trying to keep my church small. I just like it little. It's just nice and it's comfortable. And can you please stop telling people about me? It's so frustrating. He's like, no, his heart is he's yearning. The Bible says, it's on the wall there. For the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's not a weird um, spirit of death sickle or something on the wall. It's supposed to represent the harvest. God's longing, 
the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray to the God of the harvest that he'd send workers out into the harvest field. Guess what? You're a worker. You're a harvest worker that God has appointed. And you're saying, I don't know how to do it. I don't. Then trust the Holy Spirit and just go and do it. Make a fool of yourself. I guarantee when you're with God in eternity and someone comes up to you and they say, thank you for sharing the gospel of the kingdom with me. Thank you for introducing me to Jesus. I reckon whatever embarrassment, whatever ridicule that you faced in your life, you'll be saying, I'm so glad I did that because you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. Think about all the people in your life who God, you might be the person that God has called to share the good news. Their eternity is dependent upon whether or not you're willing to lay down your life for the sake of somebody else. It's big, eh? It's big, but God's saying, I don't have a plan B. I have a plan A, you're it. I wouldn't choose me, but God has. He's like, no, I've got to take that responsibility seriously. I think we need a kind of a bit of a refresh of what, of what evangelism looks like, what we're actually called to do. We might need to repent even of our understanding or our judgment of evangelists um, in order to be open to say, well, God, you've called me to evangelize. You've called me to go and make disciples, every one of us. And I love, this is kind of one of those simple things of God where it's always good to do that review and just to say, who am I to something? God has commanded me and commissioned me and appointed me and anointed me to go and make disciples. It's like, this is your life now. This is the mission of your life. What's my destiny? What's my calling? You go and make disciples of Jesus. Okay, cool. Am I doing that? If I'm not, I've got to do something. I've got to change my life in order to set myself up to be able to do that. Otherwise, I'm living. I wake up and I go to bed disobedient to the Lord. So I don't like saying hard things. I, I don't mind it, but you know, I feel, I feel if you're like, are you hearing what I'm saying? Like it's just so clear, but then we can go, oh yes, move on. Oh, but you know, but I tithed. Oh, that's great. You gave back to me what belongs to me. Well done. You know, I read my Bible. I, I did, I prayed. I did, I did this. It's like, but what, this is what I've told you to do. And you might be spending all of your time doing lots of good stuff. But if you're not doing what I told you to do, it's great. I tell my kid to go and clean their room, and they go, oh, I didn't, but I, but I played lots of video games. I enjoyed myself. I had fun. It's like, is there anything wrong with it? Well, no, but you, but you didn't do what I told you to do. So we are to be the good news to people. We're to tell the good news. We're to do the good news. So the, the fact is that even part of our transformation process is in order to be a good evangelist. So if I'm like, oh, I don't need to deal with my sin, I don't need to deal with my junk, I don't need to deal with my brokenness. I just got to be out there telling people good news. Like, no, but you're representing Jesus as you do that. In the same way that like a prophet, how they might represent God to a people, evangelists are representing God to people. And that word will filter through. So if your character is funky, then the message is going to be funky. Not bass slapping funky either. That's like stinky funky, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, so how did Jesus do it? 
If he is our model, he is our representative, he shared his life with people. He spent time amongst people who didn't know him. You might need to join a sports team. You might need to start frequenting a, a particular cafe. You might just need to start to choose to, to shop at the same time each week at the same shopping center so that you might see the same uh, person at the register to do your shopping that you could start having conversation and building a relationship and connection with. You might need to open up your schedule to make time for inviting people over to have meals at your house or spending time on your front lawn watering your garden so that you might see your neighbor come home after work and you can have that connection with them. You see how it might take some intentionality to say, okay, God, I'm open for you to bring people into my life that don't know you. And God's like, that's great, but I didn't tell them to come. I told you to go. If you feel like, yeah, this is, this is a side note. If you feel like you have an excuse as to why you don't need to evangelize, please come and talk to me. And I will help you to remove all excuses. I'm great at problem solving the removal of excuses. So what did Jesus do? He went, to, he went to parties. He hung out with undesirable people. He just put himself in those situations. He had a good reput, reputation amongst sinners without being a sinner himself. So he wasn't uptight, he was fun. He had a laugh, he was just a normal guy. You know, I, I found this near the end of my time playing football that people started to find out that I was a Christian because I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a cross around my neck. I wasn't, you know, promoting it openly. I was just having, I was just being a normal person. And, uh, and I sometimes I'd chat to people and I'm in that situation where it's kind of, if I say, oh, what do you do for work? Normal question, then they ask back. Then it's kind of pretty, it's like, oh, well, I, I'm a, I work for a church, and so that's kind of immediately you have that opportunity to share about that. I sh plenty of times where I shared, "Oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor." Like, oh, <laughs> move on. No grid for that, or I like, don't know what to say, or whatever. But I had, you know, I had people that would come across and go, "Like you, I, like the president of the football club," and then the night, and he's we're sitting down on the couch after training on Thursday night, and he comes and sits down, and he's, and he's got this weird look on his face, and uh, he's like, "I heard a rumor about you." I was like, what, what, what did I do? You know, you're thinking back. It's like the principals, you know, he comes into the classroom and your kid, what do I do? What do I, if I do anything wrong? Okay, no, I'm safe, you know. And uh, he's like, are you, a, are you a pastor? He's like, yeah. He's like, no way. And he's and he, like, he, he couldn't believe it, couldn't wrap his head around it. Um, I, and so again, I'm like, is that because I've been a really bad representation of Jesus? I hope not. But I've just been a normal person. And, uh, and then he starts talking and, and we just had a really kind of great conversation about that, shared some of what the church is doing and kind of built that connection. But, but for him, he's like, I didn't fit into the box of what he expected uh, someone to be in that place. I'm like, oh, that's, that's good. And, but we also had, you know, there's another Christian guy who, that I play with and, and we would do stuff that would just serve and just give our time. Like we cleaned the clubhouse one, one night without being asked to the change rooms and mopped up and, you know, they, and they publicly acknowledged that. So oh, we just want to give, you know, and they, and they do that. And for us, it's like, we're not doing for acknowledgement, but it's like, we just love to serve and we love to, to give. But what we, what we were able to do in a very short time is just to shift kind of some of that culture of what it looks like to serve. And they're saying, hey, these, you know, these old, old, older fellas, you know, I'm an older person now, I guess in the football kind of world that, uh, you know, there's some you young fellas, you know, you need to learn some stuff from these guys and you know, but, it, but we're just representing Jesus. Like it's not, and we're not going in there necessarily strategically. Okay, so on this night, we're going to mop the floors and then this is going to have this conversation. We're going to get up and do this. And, and no, it's just, 
I was just able to be myself in that place. But look for those opportunities. How can I represent Jesus well? But it wasn't through anything that I said. It was mostly through what I did. And it's how I treated people and how I, I loved people and made conversation with people and shared my life. And I want you to know I am not an extrovert. I don't enjoy talking to strangers. Like, I'm just not that person, okay? I know I've said it before, like, even the fact that I'm up here talking to you is like total opposite of what I ever expected to be doing, okay? So I put that down to, to God changing things in me, but, but like, I'm, I'm just not, I'm awkward in those situations. I'll stand around, you know, like, I would always, if I went to a party, I was like, can I do the music? <laughs> and then I can hide behind the, you know, the, the DJ table or whatever, you know, and just so I don't have to be that person out awkwardly having conversations. But I know, but I can do it and I will cost myself for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of someone's eternal salvation. So there you go. If you want to play footy, come and join me next season. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, <laughs> yeah, my, my, my two uh, um, herniated discs in my back are thinking twice about it. So pray for healing for me so I can play footy again. <clears throat> you know, Jesus did, he spoke to crowds. We can't say that there wasn't times where he spoke to crowds. But often, those crowds weren't there to hear him preach. They were here because they wanted a miracle. They wanted transformation in their life. But he revealed the reality of the kingdom of God. And this is stuff when it comes to signs, wonders, and miracles, praying for healing, all that sort of stuff. Even if you were to pray for someone's healing, the intent is to love them. That's the intent. That's God's heart. I love you, so I want you to be whole and healed and restored. Okay? The, the healing is just, that's a, that's a benefit. That's a bonus. That's a fruit that comes from that. But if we're motivated by love, we'll do those sorts of things. So I think we need a Holy Spirit-infused kind of creativity to look at our lives and what we can do to see people come to know Jesus. Often, again, maybe historically for us, we've thought about how can I do, evangelism looks like doing Christian things in a non-Christian environment. Okay, so what do we do when, when we get together with Christians? Okay, we, we might study the Bible together. All right, cool, that's what I go to do. I'll go into my workplace and I'll start a lunchtime Bible study. And it's like, okay, cool, let's, you could do that. So, oh, we pray together. Okay, well, I'll go to my neighborhood and, uh, and I'll invite everyone onto the street because we're gonna have a prayer meeting. And again, if that happens, if that works, praise the Lord. God is on it. Um, but the chances are kind of Christian activities done in a non-Christian context aren't going to have the fruitfulness that you find in this place. And we don't need to do that. But that's kind of how we've been trained because the church has trained people for ministry within the church. And they haven't trained the church's missionaries to be sent out from the church. And that's my heart. And I think it's God's heart is that you would be trained as a missionary to live every day sent by Him out into the world. But if you're just thinking, okay, now I've got to go and do a church service somewhere else. No, please don't. Again, God's, if Holy Spirit's saying, do like I'm all for it, but, but, but please, you don't need to do that. You can just go and be you, share your life, love people. So we need to learn how to engage in God's ministry, which is his mission, in context outside of this kind of Christian bubble. It's loving people, it's serving people, it's just living out the reality of the kingdom. It's being, being filled with joy and life. It's sharing your victories and your defeats with people. It's praying for miracles. 
It's sharing your heart. It's inviting people into your life. It's inviting people over for a meal. And that's why I say to people, invite someone into your life before you invite them along on a Sunday. You don't need to bring them here to get them saved. You have everything within you. You have every capability to lead someone to Jesus in anywhere that you are. Could be lunchtime at work. Could be on your front lawn. Could be standing at the, at the till at the shopping center. You have everything that you need to do all of that stuff. And for me, what has burdened me is where I've seen the church as an organization take that responsibility away from people. And it puts it within the context of a Sunday church meeting. And it means all of those people, the majority of our population in a secular culture who wants nothing to do with the church, they're never going to hear the gospel. Because they're never going to come to the place where the gospel is contained. Jesus never contained it. He released it. And he released it through people who'd think, really, should they be the, the right ones carrying the message? And Jesus is like, yeah, it's okay, because my spirit's gonna go with them. And I'm gonna give them the words to say, I'm gonna transform their lives. And it's each and every one of us. We've been commissioned by God to be sent out into the world. And the blessing is we don't have to do it alone. Where God has drawn us into Christian community so that we can go together. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you, my disciples, if you have love for one another. So it's actually living our lives in Christian community in the context of those who don't know Jesus. Saying, how am I gonna do that? Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, God, give me, give me ideas, give me opportunities. How can I go and do that? When we live as people captivated and consumed by God, we will struggle to not tell people about Jesus. Is this all right? You're out for me to keep going? All right, that's okay. Mm. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> um, again, I'm, I'm, I, I want to take your time here in order to equip you for your time out there, okay? If this is, I don't want this to be the fullness of your Christian experience, <laughs> and I trust that it's not, but getting this stuff is so, it's tomorrow I'm concerned about for you. It's tomorrow I'm excited about for you, for those opportunities, but if we just take our time here, then we can be equipped to go and do that. Um, but I wanna talk about learning gospel fluency, Okay? So learning the language of a gospel, being fluent in the gospel, that you can speak it into every situation. Not every conversation, but every scenario and situation. Uh, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. So there's power in the message of Jesus. There's power in the good news of God in this gospel message. But if we're taking our Christianese kind of language and using that in context where people don't understand what they're saying, then they can't interpret what's being said. And it can also kind of be a little bit uh, disjointed, uh, if you know what I mean. So it's like we try and fit kind of Christian stuff into conversations about random things, you know, like someone saying, oh man, I refinanced my mortgage the other day. I saved so much money. It's like, you know who else who saves? Jesus. Can I tell you about him? You know, 
Come on, sit up, sit up. Man, I'm dying for something to eat right now. You know who died? Jesus died. Can I tell you about him? I'm like, what, dude? We're talking about food. I want Nando's, not Jesus. Like, it's, but you know what I mean? Like, we, we can kind of try and squeeze the gospel, the gospel message of what that, that thin Jesus died for you kind of thing into it, rather than just saying, Jesus is good news in every part of our life, not just our eternal salvation. So if I'm taking, I don't want to take my Christianese, and so it's actually learning, and I think for a lot of us, we actually just need to learn the language of the people that we live amongst. Again, you might say, the people I live amongst or work amongst, I don't know if I want to learn all that language. So, you know, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. But uh, if the gospel only informs my future when I die, then it really has little relevance to my everyday life and even less relevance to those who don't know God. People are living, we are, people are living in a more existential reality today than they ever have, I think. Like it's all about in the moment. My existence right now is what I'm living in. And if we're talking about, oh, but when you die, I don't care about what happens when I die. I'm living now. I want life now. I want experience now. And the church is like, oh, we don't have, we don't really have much experience now. It's all about the future. It's like, no, we do. Absolutely. God is alive and well. He's impacting our life. But if I'm like, am I thinking about how the gospel informs my life every day? But it does when we're in a discipling relationship with Jesus and with others. If we're just trying to convince people to believe in God through teaching them things of the Bible, it's, it's oftentimes not going to land well because like, I don't well the Bible says this but then I don't care what the Bible says tell me what you think tell me what you believe tell me what you've experienced that's what people want to know is Jesus alive and well to you that's what they want to hear they want to hear about what God is doing in your life so the question is well how does Jesus inform my parenting how is he discipling me and how I parent? How does Jesus inform how I spend my money? How does the gospel inform how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I relate to my friends? How would you counsel someone in your workplace or maybe a neighbor if they're struggling in, in kind of with their mental health? Maybe they're struggling with anxiety. And again, we can come in and say, well, the Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and uh, so you just need to believe the Bible. Thanks. I'll, I'll remember that when I'm having a panic attack. Can you write that down for me? I'm sure that will help. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And what did he call his disciples to do? Go and release my peace. His peace was tangible. God is good, yeah. What did Moses experience in the cleft of the rock? The goodness of God, the tangible reality of God passed before him. So we need to take it from a concept to a reality, and that's what Jesus does. He literally went from, he's an incarnational God. He went from the concept of heaven to the reality of earth that people could tangibly encounter him and experience him. Not that we could then take that and put it into a book and make it back into a concept again. Because his spirit's still here. Jesus is, is still here in the form of his spirit and is dwelling in you, and he's called you to go and represent him to the world. So what can we do in that scenario? Some, you're just chatting with your neighbor, like, man, I'm just, I'm just really struggling with anxiety. Listen to them. Ask them questions. Hey, tell, me, tell me more about how, how you're going. Oh, yeah, you know, just this, and you know, I'm just, when this, and you might say, oh, when, when does it happen? When do you feel the anxiety coming on? Just, just do some digging. Get to know them. Get to hear what's going on for them. Don't jump in with the answer. Don't quote a scripture at them. Just start asking lots of questions.
empathize with them. We have empathy when we love, when we care. So I'm really sorry that you're going, that you're going through that. That sucks. It's really hard. They, they probably don't care about what the Bible says, but they might care about what Jesus has done in you and for you. Oh, wow, there's an answer for me. And you've experienced that answer, and, and that's a testimony. That means God can do it again. So the reality is, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So you know that. That's important for you to know. Okay, my friend, my neighbor, my work colleague is struggling with anxiety. I know, Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. And, and you've called, even you sent his disciples, literally to release peace. So I'm carrying peace. I'm a person of peace. And your peace can come in and reside and impact this person's life. Now, again, you might, you might share with them how God impacts you. You say, you know what? For me, my faith has, has really been what's, what's brought peace into my life. It's my faith in, in Jesus. And, 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 and Jesus is, you know, I mean, it says in the Bible, there's times where you can, to not be anxious about anything. But by prayer and petition, present my request to God. Do you need to, what's the reference for that? Who cares? Jesus didn't put references in the Bible. God didn't put references in the Bible, by the way. Okay, We put that in so we can look up stuff. Here's a big book. Do you need to quote the scripture? You don't even need to quote it word for word because God is more powerful than that because the reality is unless you're quoting it in Aramaic or Greek, you're not quoting it accurately anyway. <laughs> so don't worry about that sort of stuff. I just know, but you know what? I've just experienced that. And what I've found is that in those times that I just talk to Jesus and I just make myself and I bring that thing before God and just say, Jesus, can you, I just really need your peace. And what I've found is that Jesus meets me in that place, in that place of anxiety. So you're sharing your experience with God. It's, it's grounded in who he is. It's grounded in what he has said, but it's something that you've experienced yourself. And it might be something else. You might say, yeah, I just find sometimes, yeah, just, just spending time with God or I, when I have a, a friend pray for me or whatever it might be, whatever you know how the gospel has informed your life. But do you see that's good news and it's changed something in you. The good news has gone from concept to reality for you. And then you can ask, could I pray that for you? Could I pray that, that you would encounter the peace of Jesus right now? You say, yeah, I'd love, I'd love that. Oh, I might say, oh, no, I'm, I'm cool. So, is it okay if I pray for you just on my own? Yeah, yeah, no, you can do that. Do you know how many times I've had where people have rejected me praying for them? People that don't know Jesus? I can't think of any times. And as I've said before, I've seen way more miracles happen with non-Christians than Christians. Because I think miracles are really designed for evangelism. That's how Jesus, because he's like, you need to reveal, the, I'm wanting to reveal the reality of the kingdom to people. But this is the question, is like, if the gospel isn't good news to you, then you're probably going to find it hard to share the good news with others. You can share what the Bible says. And that's truth, whether you believe it or not. So that's fine. But what's, I think, most meaningful when we're in a relational context is like, this is, what, this is how the good news has impacted my life. This is how Jesus has transformed my life. This is the, the, the testimony that I have to share. And I know if Jesus did it for me, I don't deserve it. He can do it for you. I'm not a Christian. It doesn't matter. 
Jesus performed thousands, countless miracles to those who didn't believe that he was the son of God. They came, hey, there's this dude who's doing miracles. I want a miracle. And he did miracles. And they didn't, they turned away, didn't follow him. They didn't become Christians. Again, I've seen God do crazy miracles in people's lives, transformation, deliverance, all this sort of stuff. And they never chose to follow Jesus. And I'm just reminded of the scripture that talks about the scattering of the seeds of the kingdom. And it talks about, you know, the, the rocky ground and the fertile ground and all of that sort of stuff. And as I said before, that's not a teaching about finding the right soil to plant the seed. That is a teaching about scatter the seed everywhere that you go. You don't need to worry about the ground. That's God's responsibility. Everywhere you go, just be scattering the seeds of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus and what he's done and what he is doing and what he desires to do. Being a good evangelist for some of us starts with being a good listener. And you don't need to jump into sharing information. Remember, you're giving people an invitation, not information. You, the role of an evangelist is to give an invitation to encounter the Lord, not information about a God. Yeah? You're carrying invitations with you. Everywhere that you go, you're carrying invitations of encounter with the Lord. But we, we need to be going, are you good news to me, Jesus? And maybe you just have never articulated it. I know my life's different. I know my life's changed. But when I read the script, I'm looking, oh, yes, this is, you've done this for me, Jesus. And how could I share that with someone without being a weirdo? Tip number one, don't be weird. Only because that, that, that role is already full. So I'm like, weirdos, be weirdos. That's all good. Like, can't we just be normal followers of Jesus? We love people and who have encountered and experienced the reality of a God who seeks to transform their lives. So if we take that in the individual, we put it into a community. A firefold family loves those who don't know Jesus. They're concerned about those who don't know him. I want this community to grow. Not so we can hang our hats and say, oh, look how big our church is. I have, I do not care a bit about how big our church is. Okay, it literally does not, and hopefully anyone who's journeyed with me for the last one, it just doesn't, I don't care at all. I, but I care about people meeting Jesus. And if you go out, if just say we went out, and in our lifetime, we each saw 10 people become Christians, and this community never grew an inch by one person, wouldn't bother me. And if they go to other churches and other churches, if every other church in our city grows with new believers that have been discipled and, and they've met Jesus through this church or through you, it doesn't bother me a bit. I'm not interested in us evangelizing for the sake of growing a church. That's, that's warped. That's twisted. That's manipulated and defiled. We want, to, we, want, we want people to meet Jesus because we love God and we love people. Real, real simple. Where they go, it doesn't matter. A fivefold family seeks the welfare of the city. Our church, our lives should be good news to the people around us. Wherever you are, whatever, whatever city, town, whatever that you live in, your existence should be good news to those around you. A fivefold family is outwardly focused 
And again, I'm not talking about making, oh, cool, so we need to be more evangelistic on a Sunday. No, no, no. We need to be more evangelistic on a Monday and on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday. If this is the least evangelistic time in your week, I'm okay with that. As long as it's encouraging you and equipping you and empowering you to be a good evangelist every other day of the week. Because that's where people are. They're not here. And the and majority of our culture is not going to be here statistically. A fivefold family is about the redemption and restoration of individuals, of families, of communities, and of nations. That's what we're about. That's what we long for. That's what God's heart is and what He longs for. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray. Would you like to stand with me? Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, stir up in us, Lord. Just awaken us to your presence, Holy Spirit, awaken us to your voice. Lord, in the same way that you told your disciples, don't leave home base until the Holy Spirit has come upon you in power. We want to take on that word and say, we don't want to leave this place without your power, without your presence, Holy Spirit. Because we could leave encouraged, we could leave inspired, we could leave guilty that we're not doing enough. We could leave with a conviction This digital demons, I rebuke you. We don't want to leave without your presence, Holy Spirit. Without an awareness of your presence upon us, Lord. Because you are the one, you are the good news. You are the one who will give us the words, who will give us the creativity, who will give us the insight, who will draw our eyes to a person, who will draw our hearts to a person, who will cause us to cost ourselves in love, to sacrifice, to make space for others in our lives that don't know you. It's you, Holy Spirit, that will prompt us to reach out to a neighbor. It's you, Holy Spirit, who will prompt us to have that conversation over the counter at the coffee shop, Lord. It's you, Holy Spirit, who will prompt us to choose to spend an extra bit of time with that work colleague and maybe even the one that we don't get along with as well as others, that we not, aren't naturally drawn to, but you're drawn to them, Lord, and you're drawing them to yourself. So we want to rely on the supernatural dimension of evangelism, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, that we, we can just be loaves and fishes, Lord, and you are the multiplier. But we choose now, Holy Spirit, we just put our lives before you. So Lord, I, I feel like I don't have the words to say. I feel like I'm, I'm scared. I just don't know what to do. But I give my life to you, Lord. I put my life before you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just begin to stir deep love in our hearts, Lord. 
deep love for what you love and you love your enemies. You love the lost. You love the broken. You love those who don't know you. They are your children, Lord. Even maybe for some here who have just wayward children, you know the ache and the burden in your heart when your children are not following the Lord. And that's God's heart every day. He sees all of His children who are lost. They don't even know that they have a father. And He is commissioning every single one of us to go and to give that invitation to say, hey, there's a good father who loves you and He wants you to know Him. He's pursuing you. He's longing for you. He's not angry with you. He's not wanting to crush you. He's wanting to save you and transform you. Would you awake and love the people in our hearts, Lord? Awake and love in our hearts, Lord. Would you awaken creativity in our hearts, Lord? Would you give us eyes to see the opportunities that exist before us, Lord? Thank you. We say yes to you, God. And we, we do it scared, <laughs> we do it excited, but we say yes to you, Lord. But we don't want to hold this good thing. We don't want to hold on to this good news, Lord. We want to share this good news. And maybe even for you, you're here today saying, oh, I feel like I need just to recommit my life to Jesus. Or even for the first time. It's real simple. You can just pray, I give my life to you, Jesus. Even as you lay down your life for me, I lay down my life for you. And I choose you. I choose to follow you. I receive your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. And just as I've been sharing, I just wonder whether even any of you have just felt prompted that maybe God has really heightened your awareness that you are an evangelist that you are one to, that just loves the lost, loves to be out there and sharing and interacting. And we'd love to pray for you and commission you in particular, uh, but also uh, welcome you in this community that you can be yourself. And as with all of the fivefold, Lord, our hearts are to, we wanna hear the voice of all five because they represent you. We don't want to dismiss the voice of the prophet or dismiss the voice of the apostle or the teacher or the evangelist or the shepherd, Lord. We want to value their voice because that's what makes us well-rounded little Jesuses is when every voice is given the right place of prominence. And so I just, I welcome the voice of the evangelist here. I welcome the heart of the evangelist that would keep us all accountable to be loving those who don't know Jesus to be inviting those who don't know Jesus. Father, I pray for an awakening, Lord, even in our, in our life hubs and, and DNA groups, Lord, these opportunities that we create for connection, Lord, that we would start to see those flooded with those who don't know you, Jesus. That we'd see opportunity, God, just to reach out and invite people into our lives, into our families, into our church community, God. I don't wonder if you feel like that's, that's maybe the calling on your life, that primary gifting. We'd love for you to come forward and, uh, 
and we just want to pray and lay hands on you and commission you. Maybe you feel like, I just want to be activated in evangelism. Even if it's not your primary gift set, it's like, but I want, I want fresh commissioning. Why don't you come forward and we'll pray. Okay, to be scared. <laughs> we understand we've gone a few minutes over time. If you do have to go, we totally understand. But we'd love if you're if you're able to stay, even just to pray as we pray uh, for these people. Oh, this is exciting! Amen. Release the evangelist, Lord. I'm just going to pray a prayer over you, and then we're going to pray individually. But Father, we just thank you for the anointing for evangelism, God. We thank you that even those who have come forward just felt prompted in their heart, like, I think that's who you've called me to be, Lord. It's what I love and so we just pray, Holy Spirit, come. Just awaken that, Lord. Give them fresh ideas, Lord. Open their eyes to see. And Father, open their hands to, to grab others to take with them, Lord. We thank you that they're not alone, that they're not gonna carry the full weight, Lord. It's all of our responsibility, but we thank you, Lord, for the gift of those who will prompt us, those who will take us with them, those who will teach us and equip us, Lord. We bless them, we commission them in Jesus' name.